I'm the founder of boingboing.net, which is a web blog that's been around since January of 2000. I'm also the editor-in-chief of Make Magazine, which is a technology project magazine published by O'Reilly Media. And uh, I'm the author of several books, including uh, one that's coming out in about a year and a half from Penguin about the do-it-yourself movement. My name is Mark Frauenfelder. Great. Thanks, Mark. My name is Emerson Murray, and this is Media Sound Off. And I'm Lyle Troxell. Mark, let's talk a little bit about the history of Boing Boing. Um, in 1988, I think Boing Boing started as a print magazine. What were those days like, uh, and how has it changed since it became a website? Sure. Well, the uh, the 80s were really an exciting time for self-publishing. I was uh, reading a copy of the Whole Earth Review, and I think it was probably a, an issue that was out in like 85 or 86, and it was about the zine revolution and how desktop publishing software and cheap photocopying and laser printers were becoming cheap enough that uh, they could get it in the hands of people who didn't have access to those things before. And so this whole review had a lot of reviews of really cool zines and uh, especially a zine called Fact Sheet 5, which was oh, like right, a review. Yeah. It, are you familiar? Yeah, it doesn't it review other zines. It was a, right. it was a great, yeah. yeah, Yeah, it was like this thick thing that came out, uh, I think it was four times a year, and was just hundreds and hundreds of other zines that this one guy, Mike Gunderloy, personally reviewed. Short little review. So I ordered a copy of that, and I just went crazy and ordered <laughs> dozens of zines. And of course, I was inspired to do one myself um, and did a couple. I had a little self-published uh, comic book called Toilet Devil that had uh, two issues, and then another one called Important Science Journal that I did two issues of. And then... Uh, 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 did Boing Boing with my wife and so that was the third zine I did and that was the one that kind of took off and then of course when the web came along um, that was really an attractive option because Boing Boing had grown to the point where it was kind of in the middle ground between being a zine and a magazine the, the print run of the the uh, last issue was uh, 17500 wow. and we were ru running into problems with distributors not paying us and things like that. It was getting really expensive. And so then when the web came along, we moved it online and had an online magazine that kind of uh, did okay, but not not very popular. And the reason was, was because we didn't update it very frequently. Uh, then, you know, blogging software came along and that changed everything. Um, I, I think of blogging as more of a of a publishing uh, technique or or template, uh, you know, that allows you to publish information in reverse chronological order. That something just clicked, and it was as easy to keep a, a website fresh as it was to just you know jot down a note, and that changed it, it for everybody. Um, and so that uh, worked really well for the kind of stuff that we were covering on Boing Boing, and it, it just took off. So it's very zine-like in a way because it's still self-published. Um, you know, we're just using a different set of tools and uh, the great, uh, you know, very cheap distribution network of the Internet. Right, and at the beginning, was it just you and your wife? Yeah, um, we were living kind of, it was in between moves from California to Colorado where we started uh, working on it uh, seriously and um uh it was just carla and i and um uh you know basically the other contributors were people that i had found in other zines like gareth bran when um uh i he was doing a zine called going gaga 
and I really liked it. And so, uh, you know, he, he would contribute to it. And just other people who enjoyed Boing Boing, you know, the readers became the contributors, really. The other group of contributors uh, were uh, the science I really liked who were kind of coming out of the emerging cyberpunk genre. And I thought it would be interesting to have them write nonfiction, um, looking at the, the, since cyberpunk really was kind of like, looking at the extrapolations of the present. And that worked out pretty well. Rudy Rucker became a regular columnist. Um, Bruce Sterling wrote articles about, you know, like going to Akihabara in Japan and reporting what that was like and, and what it meant uh, to, uh, to culture. And now can you sort of give down the, the rundown of who are the editors now and, and how did they get involved? How did you choose them? Okay, sure. Um, the first editor to to join was Cory Doctorow, uh, and I think most people know Cory. Uh, he's a science fiction writer and uh, uh, formerly with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And um, Cory was always sending me great ideas to blog on Boing Boing. I, I got to know him when I was an editor at Wired magazine, and I really enjoyed the articles that he wrote. And he sent me some science fiction stories he wrote, and uh, he was also a reader of the zine. So uh, we became friends. And so... Um, when Boing Boing was starting to take off as a blog, just a few months in, into its uh, beginnings as a blog, I was about to go on vacation, and I asked Corey if he wanted to be uh, to, to take over while I was gone, and he said, sure. And so instead of, you know, I usually would post like maybe one to three items a day. Some days I wouldn't even post anything. Corey was like posting 20 to 30 items a day. <laughs> Up the it was bar. crazy. Yeah. And so... So when I, I looked at the stats and there was a, a correlation between the number of posts and the the number of uh, readers. And mm -hmm. so, you know, and then that made me excited to, to blog, to post more too. And so um, then my friend David Peskovitz, uh, shortly after that, um, I asked him to join too. David was had been an editor on the zine. And uh, we shared a lot of the same sensibilities. And so we brought him on board. And then Shenny was, um, we used to have a, a guest blogger uh, program on Boing Boing where we would have uh, people, interesting people post in a kind of a little sidebar. And Shenny was one of those. And we really liked what she was doing. And so we added her as the fourth editor. And so it stands that way with the four of us, uh, uh, David, Corey, Shenny, and I are the editors and we actually did reintroduce the guest blogging and we have our first guest blogger uh after an absence of a bunch of years uh lisa katayama from tokyo mango oh right yeah she just started uh, yeah uh, blogging and posting her links to her yeah her blog she's wonderful she's a, a writer for wired and she has a a book uh, uh about uh kind of useful uh, memes and, and tricks and productivity tips from Japan. Right. Mark, you, I mean, you obviously like to write and collect writing and organize them into something and then seeing them in print. And Boing Boing isn't that. Has it opened up roads to be able to do that, though? Like, is that how you got involved with Make and Wired? Um, I'm sorry, I missed the very, a word or two got cut out. Oh, sorry about that. So I guess I'm, what I'm asking is, um, it seems to me you have a real passion for, for actual physical, tangible reading material, right? Zines are, are traditionally printed. And yet Boing Boing is not that way anymore. And do you, do you miss that aspect of it? Or have you filled your time with, you know, like Make Magazine? 
filling that niche for you? Yeah, well, Make helps with that. And um, I think I stay in touch with, with tangible media by, uh, by painting and um, working on projects around the house. Uh, I do think it's really important to to use my hands to make things, and so I've really been get, getting into gardening um, and uh, uh, working on a chicken coop and, and building things like that. So uh, that way, you know, there's a good balance. And I also just enjoy the the immediacy of the web, where I can write a post, and then you know, five seconds later, it's there for everyone to see. There's great advantages to that. And for people to participate with the commenting, I noticed that, I mean, Boing Boing has removed comments that are offensive, and you do a little bit of pruning, you manage that that group, you keep kind of a, a certain style about what can be said and can't be said on Boing Boing. How, how do you decide what gets pulled? Um, well, you know, we have a, a rather long uh, FAQ about our moderation policy, um, but, you know, this... this sh- it, it, the short answer is if if you participate in the same way that you would participate if you were an invited guest at a dinner party where right. disagreement is allowed and even encouraged but name calling or uh or intentional disruption or you know peeing in the gravy uh <laughs> is uh, your goal, then you're going to be, you know, ejected. And we try to do it in a way that, um, you know, our moderators will, you know, do something like maybe send an email to the person and ask them what the hell they're doing. And that usually helps a lot if someone's being disruptive or if someone uh, uh, doesn't respond to that. A lot of times we'll uh, do something called disemvoweling where we will take all the vowels out of the post Mm -hmm. and, what that does is it it allows someone who really wants to see what the post is to to kind of suss it out and figure out what the people is kind of a sign that you know they can just skip over that comment and just go on right. uh, and then you know we we will ban users sometimes for a week or some users have been banned forever from yeah. the site i'm always surprised at at, at how much boing boing feels like a community and how a lot of the posters really feel like it's their site. You know, they sort of, this is ours. This is our community. This is our family. I mean, the truth is it's your site. But could you talk about that and talk about the community, sort of that community feeling, why it's like that? Yeah. Um, there are, you know, a, a self-selected uh, group of people who comment a lot. You know, it's like the 1% of the readers who do 95% of the comments on the site and they uh because of their investment of of time and uh you know mental cycles in it they have a a sense of ownership in the site which i think uh they should have um because they've helped to create that and so they kind of self police a lot of what goes on there and i think that it it works remarkably well you know there there have been problems and you know, people have been disemboweled or banned uh, by the moderators for reasons that I would have, you know, personally would have just let slide. But uh, first of all, I think the moderators ought to have autonomy and shouldn't be micromanaged. Right. And also, in a way, it's like, you know, if they were unmoderated, the comments would just 
be horrible. It would be it would descend into YouTube chaos with oh, racism yeah. and you know, all caps and things like that. So in a way, I think of it as kind of a strong uh, medicine, like a, a psychotherapeutic medicine, <laughs> where there are are some definitely some negative side effects, but overall it's a good thing, and that. Uh, it's an it's a place where you can read interesting conversations and and get a lot out of it. Um, it's not perfect, but I don't think that there is such a thing as a perfect online community. We're doing the best we can uh, with the tools that we have. Mark, you clearly have a traditional media um, understanding and and work working with Wired, um, and I would say even with O'Reilly with uh, your publishing of Make and also the books that you do. What what does the Boing Boing online voice allow you to do that you can't do in that publishing world? I think uh, Boing Boing um, uh, is is more of a, a a place where I can react to what's going on now without really giving it a lot of thought, just something that strikes me as unusual or surprising, uh, provokes me in some way, right. and then just kind of offer it up for other people to look at and discuss and think about. Um, and then the other kind of media that I work with, you know, magazines and books, are much more uh, reflective and uh, things, you know, where I, I give a lot more thought to um, and analyze, and I, I really do feel that there are kind of different uh, ways of thinking For sure, about yeah. uh, what I do. Yeah. Do you? Who looks at your posts before you post them? Are you the only one? Do you? Do you have an editor? And the other four editors, do they go through you, or do they just post on their own? Everybody just posts on their own. Um, I, 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 I can. I, I, there, there are a handful of times where I might have have uh like contacted every the other three editors and said I'm about to post something that uh uh is controversial what do you think uh mm -hmm. is, is this okay just because I there there are people that I re really respect and I want to get their take on on something if they think it's it's the right thing to do I can't actually recall any specific examples unfortunately doing that I just know that I've done that and that sure. the other right. authors have done that um but most of the time you know it's been it's been months since i've ever you know asked them that I, if i can post something before i go ahead and do it right i got a question about that you've got these four editors including yourself how many i mean and i know that you know Corey's a, a very uh, prolific guy he writes a lot and does a lot of things i'm assuming pulls an income and you're doing stuff with o'reilly and writing and so you guys don't necessarily need to bring in money from boing boing do you all get paid from boing boing is it a, a major source of your income um, yes, it is a major source of income to all of us. Uh, you know, we have advertising on the site and, um, we have, uh, we're, we're partnered with an agency called Federated Media that sells advertising. Um, and then, uh, they also have the, the, uh, system that, that serves the add-on to Boing Boing. So it actually is, um, a major source of income for all of us. Is that why... For example, all of Corey's works also get pub published in the open domain, you know, in a public domain. I mean, is it that you guys just don't need to pull in other revenue and can do anything you want? Um, no, not really. Um, 
the, the I think the reason Corey puts them all into the uh, with a Creative Commons license, which allows uh, non-commercial redistribution, is that he has found that um, the combination of of uh, having a lot of readers on Boing Boing and uh, being able to share his stories like that online have actually increased uh, his sales because uh, he's become more visible. And I think Tim O'Reilly is the one that the biggest enemy of uh, uh, of a writer is not pirates or or you know copy people breaking copyright. It's obscurity. Yeah, um, I, I so, agree. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And do you do that yeah. for yourself? I mean, you're coming out with a book. Are you guys going to release that the book on on the Make um, Revolution in an open in a you know Creative Commons license as well? Um, you know, I have not uh, I have not really thought about that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that I would consider, and I'll probably talk to Corey about it. Um, you know, and I probably have to get my publisher to agree to it but I don't think that it's a bad idea uh, um, it might be something that would work uh, I don't think I've my other books have never been released under a Creative Commons license and uh, it might be something interesting to try Why did you leave Wired? Why did I leave Wired? Um, let's see it was in 1997 and I was living in Los Angeles and Wired's based in San Francisco, and I had been commuting back and forth between uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco oh, to work. That's going cool. up there every week. It was pretty hard, and but I, I was able to do it. Wired had an apartment right there in South Park. It was just walking distance to the office, and I would stay in the apartment, and it, it was okay. But then um, when uh, my wife got pregnant, and we had, it just did not feel like a good thing to do. And uh, I, uh, you know, it was a kind of a good opportunity for me to say, um, you know, let's try a different arrangement. So I became um, a contributing editor and worked on contract with them mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And uh, that worked out well. And then um, I started doing more work for the industry standard uh, a couple of years after that, which was a magazine that John Battelle who I worked with at Wired, who actually hired me at Wired, uh, started. And so, you know, just kind of the natural uh, progression of trying different magazines and working for them. Okay. Mark, I, how how do you think that the – okay, I, I'm going to take it for read that newspapers have done a great job of getting reporters to work on comprehensive stories for long periods of time. And this this big push of newspapers not trying to figure out how they're going to make money online and how it's going to work, and then a lot of blogs kind of covering the news. What do you feel – are you concerned about the loss of quality reporting? I, I am, yeah, I am actually, and um, th- that's something that Boing Boing has been thinking about, and what we, you know, how we might be able to do something about that. Um, and and so one thing we're doing is uh, is uh, working on, and and this is still kind of in the early stages, but partnering with a magazine and kind of doing a, a kind of a, a co publishing deal where we would uh, either the, one of the editors or a writer that we would assign would do longer form journalism where we would actually pay them so that they could take the time to do the research and uh, then the work would be published in the magazine and some kind of online component on Boing Boing. Um, 
you know, it would be an experiment, but I think it would be, uh, you know, it's an experiment that's worth trying. You know, it's not not that we're going to save save uh, journalism or anything, but you know, I, I think that there are there are ways that uh, that long form journalism, where the reporter really does have time to dig. Uh, you know, we can there there are ways that 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 can happen still, and that uh, you know. Even if newspapers die, there are other opportunities. I guess I the, think, so. yeah. I guess the yeah, reason I asked, yeah, I guess the reason I asked is that you know you mentioned earlier that um, the traditional print media you have more time for real thoughtful uh, writing, and that's what you do in a book, and that's what you do in, even in make and and uh, and the like. But online, that you don't have to put as much thought into your work, which is great from the personability side and the free form idea and the qual- you know the quantity. But mm-hmm. it doesn't lead necessarily to really good thought-provoking stuff all the time. I mean, it doesn't. And the research, of course, is the biggest part of that. It's very hard to yeah. do in a short form or a quick blog entry. So that's why I kind of asked. And I'm guess I'm wonder how much time do you spend on your blog posts? Yeah, I, you know, I I actually spend most of my time just kind of quickly. Going through uh, email suggestions and uh, my blog, uh, R- you know the RSS. Uh, I have you know I look at a few hundred blogs probably and just look for things that catch my interest. So I don't put a lot of thought into the posts themselves and the way that the, the entries are crafted or anything like that. Or you know, following up with telephone calls or doing research. I I, I kind of think think that, uh, and maybe this is not right, but it seems to work, that I let the readers of Boing Boing kind of do the fact-checking. A lot of times, right. uh, you know, things that I post are wrong, and then, uh, or, you know, the, the original source that I cite is wrong, and readers will find the, the, the real answer, which I think is a, a cool thing, and, and it's, uh, you know, the community at work doing the reporting in a distributed way. Right. Roughly how many emails do you get per day with with suggestions and are there regular uh do you have regular people that email and, and that are pretty reliable? Yeah, we do have regulars. Um and uh I I have all my uh the suggestions people fill out a form they're sent to all four editors and I have mine uh you know coming to a Gmail account and I have certain uh people who suggest ideas that have proven to be, you know, good, reliable sources of, of interesting things highlighted so that I see their stuff first. And I would say we get, you know, several hundred suggestions a day. Um, a lot of it is, uh, you know, there's, I don't know why, but there's, we get spam. Uh, these, these spam software companies sell uh, form-filling uh, really? scripts. And one of the oh. scripts they sell is, you know, includes is the one to fill out Boing Boing which is really dumb because we will never, ever blog about, you know, some kind of herbal Viagra uh, thing, you know, <laughs> oh a, a, a slip and fall lawyer in Arizona or something. Right. It's crazy that they even waste their time doing it. Yeah, that's what we... Well, it's interesting because yeah. their, their market is the people that are buying software, right? So they don't even know necessarily that Boing Boing's in there. They just get the count of 500 yeah. sites auto-posting, and that's yeah. the biggest exactly. selling point. Exactly. Yeah, it's horrible. Weird. So roughly, yeah. how many how many hits does Boing Boing get a day? Um, well, let's see. Uh, I, w- I I think we are getting 
the, the number that I remember the most is 800, or no, 8 million page views a month. Mm-hmm. Wow. 8 million page views a month. And uh, let me see if I can see, so, let me see something here. Um, uh, okay, well, actually, the last 30 days, we've had 9.3 million page views. And let me see if I can do it. Let me see for the day, like... Uh, It's hard to see for the day, unfortunately. Let me see oh, here. Yeah. Is is um is Boing Boing a corporation with all of you participants, or how how's the the structure, yeah, the I, legal structure? I guess it is a, a corporation. It's an LLC, mm-hmm. limited liability corporation, and um, uh, all four of us are stakeholders, and we have a couple of others. Carla is uh, one of our uh, is one of the owners. Um, just because she was one of the co-founders of, right. of Boeing, you know, the brand and the zine. And then um, uh, John Battelle uh, uh, became our general manager. And so I guess there's basically six. And, and do you all have corporate meetings? Or you, do you do that kind of thing where you actually act like a business? Or is it much more consensus kind of stuff? Um, it, it's consensus-based. We make decisions uh, kind of... Uh, uh, like the Quakers or something, where we we all kind of agree. You know, we we discuss uh, what we want to do, and if there's a to things, we'll kind of avoid it and work on other things that we agree on, and then go back. And it's basically all consensus based, which is uh, has its advantages and disadvantages. I think it overall it works pretty well for the way we do things. Um, uh, you know, we do have corporate. You know, uh, the articles of incorporation mm-hmm. uh, that lawyers drafted, and I don't understand. But uh, <laughs> we 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 tend, you know, we're we're pretty informal. We have a monthly phone call, and okay. we meet uh, once or twice a year in person. But we're scattered, you know, all over. The Corey's in London, and David's up north, and Shenny and I are here in L.A. Yeah. As you get older, uh, how has has Boing Boing changed? As you get older, have kids? How has Boing Boing changed? Um, I, I think that I, uh, I care more about the future. Having kids, I care more about the future because, you know, my kids are the ones that are going to be living in it. Um, so I, I am more interested in politics than I was in early days when it was a zine. And also, uh, I think I'm more sensitive to stories about, uh, you know, people or, uh, kids getting injured or, or things um i i i don't think I, i'm less I'm, I'm still interested in frivolous silly things yeah too uh i don't think that will ever change but i think uh i i tend not to be as interested or fascinated in in negative things that have happened mm-hmm. um yeah boing boing does have a kind of upbeat kind of feeling to it yeah, yeah, we try to be p- positive, but you know, and, but also there are just things that we can't help but comment on. You know, when there are uh, civil liberties, uh, yeah, violations that yeah. seems to, to strike a nerve with all of us. Can you talk about the evolution of Boing Boing TV and how that got started? Yeah, um, uh, we had been wanting to try. Uh, doing some kind of video stuff for a while. And um, 
Shenny is uh, has had a lot of experience uh, doing journalism in front of a camera and on NPR, and she just has a really good uh, uh, persona for doing uh, voice and camera work, and she just is a natural for it. So we, uh, you know, thought about it and talked to people and things, and we finally uh, hooked up with uh, a group in Santa Monica called DECA, D-E-C-A. They're uh, we're starting an online video production company. And so we partnered with them and started Boing Boing TV. And Shenny really runs the, the operational manager and the creative director. And she has a team of producers and editors and a couple of directors and things. And so they go out and uh, create a you know, four to seven minute video every day. And it's kind of a, an eclectic grab bag in the same way that Boing Boing is, where things can be either serious or or humorous, uh, you know, or a music video or uh, exclusive clips from an upcoming documentary or Shenny's uh, uh, ch- uh, charitable work in Guatemala. It can be all those, you know, different things every day. So it's it's a lot of fun. Let's talk a bit about advertising, Mark. I mean, the, for example, the Boing Boing TV has a, a big placement ad right in the middle of it. Maybe we should talk to Jenny about that. But there's also ads all over Boeing where that's how you make your money. How do you decide who you can advertise with and how much do you charge them? Not not necessarily numbers, but how do you come up with a decision on how much you charge them? And then also, you know, how do you what do you feel about being financed through that? Um uh as as far as charging we uh, Federated Media does all the negotiating with the advertising agencies that represent their clients, and they basically uh, we we trust them to know how much to charge. Really, so you don't get into the details. You, so you might see an ad up there, and you might not know who it was. Um, I'll know who I'll I'll know who the advertiser is, but I won't know how much we're, we can check and see. Yeah. But. Uh, well, I just don't. I guess. Do I guess. It. I guess what I'm asking is, if you have you ever gone up to Boing Boing and seen an advertisement up there that you wouldn't have really picked, but it just somebody else is handling it for you, so the ads are the ads. I mean. Oh are... yeah. Uh, that that's a different story. Okay. And uh, we have uh, most of the time, Federated Media is really good about this. They will tell us who the advertisers are going to be. Okay. And we have. Uh, on you know quite a number of occasions said no we don't want them to be an advertiser um under what basis and, um if it's something that we disagree with uh uh p- politically or uh you know if a if if it's a company that has what uh, you know Corey considers to be egregious digital rights management technology incorporated into it um or uh uh you know, various political groups or religious uh, uh, organizations or something that we... So on ethical that, ba- bounds, you will yeah. say no to an advertiser. So, yes. So even though Federated Media is handling it for you, you still make sure that your relationships are with companies that you feel at least uh, a kinship to of some kind. Right. And, and But there have been times when ads have slipped through because there are a couple of different ways that advertisers can get on there. And one is, uh, you know... Federated Media goes around to the big ad agencies and, and pitches Boing Boing and the other blogs they represent. Um, and those are kind of larger campaigns that we talk about. And then there's another way where advertisers can just fill out a form and um, 
the uh, you know pay by credit card and the ad just shows up on Boing Boing. Mm -hmm. um, there is some kind of vetting process where uh, we you know it says take a look at this ad and if you don't uh, you know say anything about it, it'll show up in 24 hours. And sometimes uh, we won't catch it and it'll just show up. Right. It's rare, but you know, and then we'll see something. We'll just see you got to take this down, and Federated Media will pull it quickly. Mark, you kind of, I mean, in some way, I didn't really realize this when we were going to set up this interview, but now that we're, I'm talking with you, I'm realizing kind of how much of you, all of the, the Boing Boing core, are celebrities in, in this way. And how, what is it like to be celebrity in an online <laughs> world when you're so close to the people that maybe are fans of yours? Um, you know, I don't really feel that much like a celebrity um, just because it's rare when people, you know, recognize me out in public. I could, you know, count on one time, one on one hand, the time that someone has walked up to me and said, hey. I'm sure uh, Shenny gets, gets that a lot more, though. From oh, course, yeah, yeah. I'm sure she does. Um, last week, some guy walked up to me and said, you don't know me, but I know you. You're Cory <laughs> Doctorow. <laughs> <laughs> um, Did you set him straight? Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He was a really cool guy, actually. Um, so I, I guess, you know, I, I, I realize that Boing Boing has a lot of readers and that uh, they have access to uh, being able to communicate with us because we all have our, our uh, email addresses available to anyone who wants. So I do communicate with a lot of people, the readers, and um, it's... Uh, that's nice to do. I just, you know, I get a lot of email from people, and so I can't answer everybody. I feel bad about that. That's mm -hmm. like uh, kind of the uh, the unfortunate thing, but I just do not have time to to respond to everybody who sends email to me. But other than that, you know, it's just me working in this little uh, uh, guest house office. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't feel that, uh, you know, that there's any kind of celebrity status or anything like that. Do you not? Do you go to conventions and such? I'm sure you go to Maker Fair, right? I go to Maker Fair and I go to uh, O'Reilly's eTech, but I don't really go to any other conventions just because I don't think that it's an efficient use of my time to do that. Mm. Uh, I, I I'm really busy, you know, with the blog and then make and then uh, you know the book I'm working on. I'm usually working on a book, so I have like three things that I'm working on. And so any spare time that I have, I would rather not with my family. You know, I have two young kids and, uh, you know, do a lot of things at home together. And we, we go, there's so many fun things to do in Los Angeles. So yeah. I don't really, I'm not like a convention person. I know a lot of people are, uh, like to do all that. And, uh, you know, I can understand the appeal. And it's pro and also, I think pr probably the fact that I'm older than a lot of bloggers, um, that I'm just not as into the, the kind of the social scene of conventions and things like that. Right. Mark, can you talk about some of the blogs that, that you read and some of the podcasts that you listen to uh, as far as who should we interview next? Oh, okay. Um, oh, let's see. Well, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I really like uh, uh, Leo Laporte's podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, Mac Break Weekly is one that I really like a lot, and This Week in Tech. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, th there's just some unusual ones. I don't know if they'd be good to interview the people, but like, have you heard of one called Framework? No. What are they talking Framework about? Framework is, uh, 
has a really fun uh, podcast where people send in ambient sounds that they collect. Uh, you know, construction equipment or machinery or uh, or leaves blowing off of a pile. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just, it's really fun to listen to. Uh, um, uh, when you have something like that that's been kind of taken away from the environment and you just are yeah. listening to it, it's amazing. Oh, and we'll definitely so, uh, do that one. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And then I listen to the New Yorkers podcast. They're mm -hmm. amazing. The, the New Yorker Fiction podcast is my favorite podcast. What they do is they take a an author who who has had fiction published recently in the New Yorker and ask them to go through the archives of the New Yorker and find one of their favorite stories from one of their favorite authors and then read the story and talk about and, it. Yeah, and then talk yeah. about it. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's one of my favorites too. I, I agree. Yeah. What about for blogs? What what do you uh, what do you read? Oh uh, man, I read so many uh, <laughs> blogs, and uh, let's see. Well, one that I like grab something from almost every day is this blog called "Nothing to Do with Our Broth." Our broth and our broth. A R B R O T H. I have no idea what that means, and I don't know who our broth is. It, but it's you, nothing to do with it. So, <laughs> he, yeah, exactly. And there's no way to contact the guy. But, and I don't know where, how he finds his stories. I'm very jealous of the way that he can find these amazing stories of just the strangest things. He's, he's something, I don't know how he does it, but anyway, he, he's amazing. And so he's one of the first places. And then um, uh, I like another blog that I read all the time. It's called Homegrown Evolution. Uh, it's a, a couple that lives in Silver Lake, California, an urban section, and they are, uh, you know, working to live off the grid as much as possible. Oh. And they're doing their own gardening and food preparation. And they have a book out called The Urban Homestead. That's a great book. Aren't they? Aren't they trying to not consume uh, new things? Is that is that them that I was heard about? It could be. It yeah, could be. Uh, there's some other uh, folks that I really like. They have a blog called Ramshackle Solid, uh -huh. and they're also doing the same thing. They they live in L.A. and that's one of the things that that they you know they don't buy something. They don't want to buy anything unless they really feel that it's going to improve their lives mm -hmm. and that you know there's a place for it too. I, I like that idea of of having you know, your place be ship shape where there's a place for everything and everything in its place. Right. And a purpose for everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I could go on and on with the different uh, blogs that I read. I have hundreds of them. Um, well, it's good but... to get an off the top of your head the, the ones that came to mind right away. That's great. Yeah. Any any other podcasts that you really like? Any anything that's uh, kind of fringe? Um, let's see. Uh, uh, the stars, the Starship Sofa, science fiction audio podcast. Okay. Cool. It's do you? Um, and they have uh, you know science fiction stories read by by really good readers, and that's really enjoyable. Oh. I I love that one. Um, and uh, another one that I really like is called "You Look Nice Today." Oh, that, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah. Merlin Mann and some of his friends do that. A guy named Lonely Sandwich and Scott Simpson. Um, really funny stuff. It's yeah. uh, kind of I improv podcasting. Do you listen? Do you read all the other posts that go up on the Boing Boing, and do you listen to 
and you know consume the other stuff that your uh, coworkers, I guess, are doing? Yeah, I do. Um, I uh, I read all their posts and uh, I listen to Corey's science fiction podcast and I I read all of his stories and columns that come out. Um, and uh, uh, David, you know, when he writes an article for another magazine, I'll read that. Because, uh, you know, I'm fans of, of what they do, and that's the reason I wanted to work with them in the first place. That's great. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I, I really had a good time. You can learn more about what Mark does at uh, boingboing.net. This is Media Sound Off. My name is Lyle Troxel. My name is Emerson Murray. Thanks for joining us.